Hey guys, and welcome to the Coffee and Turner Syndrome podcast. My name is Brooke. Pour yourself your favorite cup of coffee, and let's hop into today's episode. Hi guys, welcome back. I am really, really excited. I have a very special guest with me today. This is Annalie, and I'm really excited to talk with her. We have some very, very interesting and fun topics that I just geek out at. So I'm really excited to chat. I will stop talking and let you introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. I'm really excited to be on your podcast, Brooke. So I'm Anneli. I'm 18 years old and from Germany. And I was diagnosed with classic TS at 12. Also, I'm a first-year medical student right now. That's got to be such an interesting perspective to have, studying that as someone with Turner syndrome. Right. Um, we only very briefly covered TS last semester when we had a bio- biology course, but um, I do think that learning about TS um, has made me very interested in a lot of areas of medicine. Like I would probably have studied medicine anyways, but really um, we all know learning about TS is like a crash course in so many areas of medicine. And yeah, at some point it does really become interesting, even though it affects you and it's very emotional at the beginning, right? Yeah, I'm sure to some level there is a lot of emotions tied to what you're learning because every new bit of information you're you've got to be processing it like oh what, how does that affect me what does that mean for me right and that's exactly what it was at the beginning right uh, I was listening to certain talks by physicians about TS and I was just sitting there um, hitting replay and think oh how did they word this is this common or does it, this happen occasionally like getting so hung up on why this happened to me or not um yeah. it, I think it gets better if you have heard it over and over again like you kind of get numb to it and you also you start to understand where they are they might be exaggerating right they um the physicians also don't know everything there is to know oh sure yeah there's I was actually watching one of the sessions from the um, Turner Syndrome Conference that's um, put on every year by TSUS, um, Turner Syndrome Society of the United States. And it was talking about mosaicism, but it also kind of went into how accurate you can be with genetics when it comes to Turner's anyways. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that they said was we we try to be very, very careful with the words we choose because we can't use absolutes. It's just not possible. We don't know enough to use absolutes. Sure, right. Especially with certain mosaicism forms, you don't really even know who you should diagnose as having TS sometimes. Like older women do have some level of 45XO cells. You have probably heard that very few of those cells but yeah, it probably doesn't matter. And if someone has a lot of 46XX cells, well, you don't know which cell in the body is what. So all you can say is um, do the testing that's recommended and um, yeah, relax apart aside from that. Yeah. 
Well, and the most interesting moment in that conference session for me that kind of blew my mind was my own personal theory of my case, because I'm classic as well, but I have very few, like, just like you seem to, I have very few symptoms that you could look at me and tell anything would be different or going on. Right. And my guess was always that that might come from where this could be totally wrong and you probably would know better than me having being in the middle of studying this but that maybe it was because of when the mutation started it started maybe later so less cells were affected um and then in the session there was a comment made that um their colleague had the theory that every living girl and woman with Turner syndrome was some level of mosaic to have survived. And I know as much as you do about that. um, I know that some people believe this and it's somehow credible, right? With the huge number of PS fetuses that unfortunately don't make it to birth, you have to ask what's different about us. So might be, but um, to my knowledge, it also has never been proven. And right, if you don't start off with 45XO and all that, then the question does become when does that flow happen and which sets are affected? You just don't know. Yeah, I think I think the thing that struck me about that was I just thought about it and it, it seems like a good theory to test because in on some level we know that's true that life is only like you would only be able to survive with a certain number like at some point you would not be able to continue surviving if you didn't have a certain number of chromosomes so it it just got very interesting and it kind of seeing that session was what started me on my like okay, wait, maybe I, maybe I need to learn more about the genetic side of this that I, I even thought I would be interested in. Okay, so maybe there is more to know, but I don't know um, a lot more. Just to caution, um, there can also be other things that are different about us, right? Um, we have 45 other chromosomes. There could be something somewhere that's different about us and between us and those who didn't survive. For example, our biology professor said that they had tested certain people in Puerto Rico, I don't know, and they found certain gene mutations, the single point mutations, that um, most geneticists would say, well, you can't be alive if you have them. But those were healthy people. They, they had never been to any doctor for anything major. That was kind of the criteria they had to meet to be included. And <laughs> They were walking around with those lethal mutations. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think there's just so much, and sometimes I'll, I'll go into. There's so much we don't know, and then I'm like, is it like the level of detail we would need? Is that even possible for us to know? Because mm-hmm. it gets so intricate. Um, interestingly, I had in my high school biology class. Um, we got to the section about genetic disorders and we talked about Down syndrome 
And then Turner syndrome was the next thing. But my teacher made the comment, you can survive with extra chromosomes. You can't survive with even one less. And I'm like, um, <laughs> and I, I wanted to say, well, I'm here. So, I, but I, I was just, I had a moment of being able to say, so do you know what Turner syndrome is? I, I just couldn't stop myself when she said that. Like, wait, what? Okay, so I have some really, really exciting questions. I was thinking of what I would want to talk about on this topic and ask. And I have so many questions, but I feel like I kind of, I try to do my best to pare them down. Um, and so just, just from everything so far that you have studied in genetics, how would you explain what Turner syndrome is? Okay, so then I would start by explaining the genetics behind it, right? Um, TS is if you are missing one of your sex chromosomes, not necessarily an X, it might also be a Y, and either partially or completely, and in either in all of your cells or in many of your cells. Um, and specifically what is important is the genes on what arm of the, the X chromosome. So um, that's called haploinsufficiency, when you would need two of those genes and you only have one, you only get half of the gene products. Um, yeah, so chromosomes usually consist of two chromatides, those halves that are joined as a centromere. And so maybe if you get XP deletions or the arm, the short arm, then you very quickly get a lot of the symptoms of TS. Um, yeah. For example, there's the shock gene, shot that homeopox gene um, that causes those skeletal features, your shorter, madelang deformity, hibbertus vagus, um, and so on. And you can also have XY cell lines, isochromosomes, right? Um, yeah, then a bit more useful maybe. So what does TS cause? I mean, we know that, that in, in general, um, you're, you're shorter, you probably won't hit puberty on your own. And then um, the two big things are cardiac problems possibly and autoimmune conditions. Yeah. So that it's always an interesting experience listing out everything that's possible. <laughs> right. I could go it, on for five minutes, you too. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is such a long list. But what would you say you've learned or have you maybe learned anything that would give you any understanding of what happens that maybe not a way to predict what the symptoms somebody would experience would be, but what might beforehand determine that? Like, because I had always pictured, well, maybe that cell that was damaged, it depends what it turns into. And if it turns into a reproductive cell, then that's going to be what it is affecting, things like that. And that sounds logical to me. Okay, so the only thing I know is um, if you have those cystic high chromas in utero, 
then that's what causes um, the wet neck, for example. So that's fluid retention. And maybe certain cardiac problems too. I, I'm not even sure if physicians are certain about that. Um, and if you're only missing part of the second X, for example, then um, you can start to predict, okay, where is the deletion? How much is missing? And the shock gene is really the only gene where we know, okay, this is this one gene and it does this or that. Someone else might not have TS, might miss, be missing the shock gene. And they also get scoliosis, metalung deformity, gibbetosclitis. Someone else might be missing two copies of the shock gene and gets everything more severely. Um, but aside from that, I think we know the general region, which is important for, for fertility. And we might or might not uh, know more, but yeah, I don't think really think that um, people can be a lot more specific. Yeah, there's no real way of predicting. You kind of just have to watch. Yeah. And that's what I kind of have really found that the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. <laughs> and there's just way too much I can't predict. And so those, those testing times, those screenings just become all that more important. Yeah. Uh, one thing is, well, a lot of the more severe problems can be excluded right after birth. Like, are you born with structural heart defects and kidney problems or not? And even in utero, obviously, if you have something like hypoplastic left heart syndrome, that, that should be picked up before birth. So um, just to offer some reassurance to pregnant women and so on. Um, yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about that for a minute. So all of this information, whether it's what we've just been talking about or the very long list you can find on Google of all of the possible symptoms, um, for somebody that is pregnant and just got a diagnosis of Turner syndrome for their baby, I've always given the advice, focus on what you can know about her case. That's a and very good advice. Mm -hmm. It just, I feel like that, that focusing just really helps you know what to actually be concerned about. If they can rule out a heart condition, if they can rule out while you're pregnant, a very slight cystic hygroma or high drops or things like that. If they can give you those details and you know, well, that's, that's not a part of her case, but this is, then you know what you're actually dealing with. And well, the next thing I would probably say is that there are never any guarantees. You know, um, maybe some months ago, I, I heard the first time about epilepsy and TS. There is some link to the brain cancers in children, but those things are so, so slightly more common in us. Um, you, of, of course, you start worrying once you hear, well, there might be some link, might not, but... Um, yeah, there are never any guarantees and a lot of the more problematic things are not really more common than us. A lot of the common problems can be treated very well. Yeah. And yeah, um, it's um, more common than, than not that I think we live very quote unquote normal lives as however you would want to express that. Yes, no, I, 
I think that's a, such an important reminder because yes, those things are scary when they happen. And, you know, yes, I constantly think about the heart issue that even though everything's been great up till now, that doesn't mean I get complacent and not make sure it's continuing to be okay. But I'm 31 years old and I've never had any of the major scary health complications that are possible. Not to say it's not possible, but just there's there's no way of knowing what's going to happen. And there's a large, larger than it can probably feel like group of Turner syndrome women that leave lead completely normal, healthy lives. Exactly. And aortic dissection is also a good example for something that's not really common. I mean, we have a lifetime risk of 2%. Um, nobody has ever probably really looked at how that is if you don't have a bicuspid aortic valve, if you don't have hypertension. So, um, yeah, it is 2%. Um, I can say that and think, well, doesn't sound like that much, but you know, everybody has heard of those cases. It's, if it happens, it's not good news. Um, but even better probably is that you can um, screen for that very well. Yes, the screenings we have, especially today, are incredibly powerful and really, really amazing tools. Um, and there is not anything that they could not at least attempt to treat that would come up later after birth. Um, yeah, I just, there's, and, and part of me always likes giving the disclaimer that those statistics, the 2%, well, that's pulling from the available Turner syndrome women as patients. And there's a whole lot of others that either are never diagnosed or never make it to a live birth that we don't have that information from to really know the full picture. Right. So I always take those statistics with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. um. It's actually really interesting because there have been studies where they have just randomly carrier type, I don't know what they in the biobank, what kind of tissues they had. Um, and I only know one from England. I don't know enough to say, well, is this rep representative or not? They found a lot more mosaic cases than, than you would expect. Um, unfortunately, less classic cases because Unfortunately, because that probably has to do with abortions. That's my guess. Yes, that would be my guess too. Um, not to say that classic, I hate using the phrase classic is more severe, mosaic is lighter because it really doesn't, it's really not accurate. Right, <laughs> yeah. But in theory, if you look in a textbook, it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But that's not how I've seen it mostly play out. And I mean, you can say it like that if you want to, if you're cautious, but you 
can't make women think, well, if she has classic care, she's going to have everything. Nobody ever has all of those things at once. Right. That's, that's, yeah, that's, I've never met another classic TS woman that had every single symptom on that list ever. I, I, I just don't think, I think there's too much nuance to how it plays out in everybody to really think that and to make a guess of this is, I mean, to give you an example, I think I've mentioned this before. I have classic and I know people that are mosaic. I know I have a lot of friends that are mosaic that I talk to and I am nowhere near the case of the most symptoms in the group but I'm the classic. So it's, it's just too nuanced. And I, I would say my guess would be it probably would have to do with we each have our own other genetics things happening at once too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Me too. I, um, I also have close to no health problems. So yes, um, exactly what you said. And um, the only thing that's really different between classic and everyone else is that the chance of spontaneous pregnancy is so much lower. But aside from that, well, um, as far as we can test them, right, um, we can't really tell who is going to get what, even not who is at a lot higher risk for this or that. Um, isochromosome people have a even higher risk of autoimmune conditions. Um, during chromosome X comes with certain problems, but aside from that, with the typical mosaic cases, well, you can't really predict anything. Yeah. Okay, my next question. Um, so we don't have an official cause for Turner's that I've ever heard a consensus on. There's been theories I've heard, there's been ideas people have had of what may happen. Have you seen anything in your studies that would indicate how it might happen? Okay, um, what I can tell you is we probably all have heard of meiosis, uh, where gametes are produced from just a normal somatic cell, usually with 46 chromosomes, right? Gametes are egg cells or sperm, depending on by whom. And the, the, this cell we start with gets divided two times. First, um, you have those chromosomes and 23 pairs. And um, it, this one cell is divided into two cells. Each gets one chromosome of each cell, uh, of each pair. And then the second division, um, each of the four cells gets one chromatide, right? Um, those chromosomes are divided in the middle. And um, so you end up with four cells that are not genetically identical. And if an error happens, even the first on the second step, uh, non-disjunction is, is what that's called, then well, the chromosome might not be divided as it's supposed to be. And then after fertilization with an egg or sperm cell with the typical number of chromosomes, um, you can get monosomies, trisomies, whatever. Um, you can get all kinds of crazy karyotypes right after conception, but we know that only a handful of those are actually viable. And 
Yes. Yeah, so what if what if this really happens? Um, we have touched on that. You would start off with 45XO and all that. And there is some debate as to whether this really happens or not. Um, but we do know that this same thing can also happen later during mitosis, where just a somatic cell divides into two identical cells in this case. So like um, what happens when you cut yourself and your skin cells have to divide and yeah, heal that cut. And um, so all cells following from that cell where the flaw happens um, have 45 chromosomes, for example. Um, yeah, this does not become more common with increased maternal age because 80% um, of us get our eggs from our mothers. So um, well, you can't speak of fault, but what happens happens on the side of the father and his age is also not a factor in this case because the um, men produce sperm their whole lives. And with women, they are born with all the excess they have. So um, problems on the mother's side do get more common, like trisomy 21 get more common with maternal age, but not yet. And we know that maybe certain toxins, x-ray, radioactivity, whatever, might make, make mutations in general more likely and um, might also make TS more likely. Okay. So it sounds like there's just a lot of possible things that could play into it. Right. Um, kind of creating the environment of it happening. Well, it's probably mostly just a random thing that happens. Um, you, know, you could wonder, well, my, my dad is a radiologist. What might this have to do or not? But um, yeah, these kind of things do happen. And if you look at spontaneous abortions, a lot of those have some kind of genetic problem. There are a lot of actually embryos who have um, two of each pair of chromosomes or four even, uh, which I had never heard about before biology class because this just doesn't happen in life-born humans. But yeah, it's not that uncommon that, that something like this happens at conception. Yeah. Yeah, and every theory I've seen, there's also been you know, there's, well, there's this amount of the, the group that maybe this theory would apply to, but then there's this other that they're like, no, that's not a factor for me. That's not my situation that it wouldn't fit. So it's, right. it's very, very interesting. <laughs> okay. So my next question was, What's one thing you've learned about genetics through your studies that has made the biggest impact on your understanding of Turner syndrome and kind of how it impacts those that have it? Okay, I don't know if my answer is going into the, the direction you're thinking of, but um, I will get very theoretical again because 
um, what we might ask is uh, why why do we even get symptoms of TS? Because why am I asking this? Because there is uh, a process called X inactivation, right? Um, usually, all except for one X chromosomes you have is silenced, and most of the genes are just turned off. Like it's it's not like you, like you can't pass them on, but it's a so-called bar body and um, they are not transcribed in you yourself. Um, that's because otherwise males would be at a huge disadvantage because there are so few genes on the Y chromosome and every, everything like that. And 45XY is not viable for that reason, uh, 45Y. So, it, but it does still matter, if, obviously, if you only have one X because there are certain pseudo-autosomal regions on the X chromosome that are not turned off. Um, is that is escape X inactivation. And some of the same genes are on the Y chromosomes, like the Shox gene is also on Y chromosomes. Uh, one thing that does explain is why is Turner syndrome the, the only full monosomy that's viable? It has relatively few effects because there are relatively few genes in those pseudo-autosomal regions. And another thing is, well, why do you get symptoms if you have more X's? Triple X is okay, but if you put um, four X's, five X's into a woman um, or into a man, um, that's not really good. Um, and the effects increase with number of X chromosomes. So having too much of those genes is also not that great. Um, yeah. And another thing is, the cognitive, cognitive phenotype of TS. Um, what, what I learned about this is um, in Kleinfelder syndrome or triple X syndrome, you, you actually have kind of the reverse cognitive phenotype compared to TS. So usually all of those groups have normal IQ, obviously, um, with certain exceptions in each group. Um, but you can divide IQ up into verbal IQ and performance IQ like you know, math, spatial problems, whatever. So we with TS tend to have a higher verbal IQ than performance IQ, YP split. And with Kleinfelders and triple X, it's the other way around. Like, not that surprising, but interesting. That is very interesting. Yeah. And it's, it's also a difficult topic because now, how much do you want to discuss that neurocognitive phenotype? Um, as someone affected by TS, I feel like my parents had known about it early on, but they have they might not have pushed me in certain situations as far as they did, but I am grateful for this uh, that they did demand certain things of me. And also certain descriptions are not very accurate, like, well, inability to read social cues, what do you make of that? Or maths, just in general, maths is such a huge area where, where in one task you need this cognitive strength, and if you have another one, well, then this task might be easier, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a part of it that... I feel like it's just such a spectrum and everybody is going to be in their own place on it. And I mean, I, 
I tend to think just the earlier you have the information and the more prepared you can be, the more successful you can be with supporting whatever those needs might be. Um, like for me, I, I never struggled with the verbal side of things. In fact, I excelled in verbal, but give me a math problem and it looked like a foreign language I had never seen before. I just didn't even know what to do with it, didn't know how to start. And so my mom and dad knew that and they just did everything they could to like, my, my mom was very, very adamant about like, if you aren't understanding something, are you asking your teacher for more help? Don't just sit there and struggle, go ask for help. And she would make, she constantly would remind me like, do you, are you sure you're asking for enough help? Are you sure you're asking enough questions? And, and it, it was what I needed. I needed to just have that push to you know, get that extra help. Don't just let yourself waver on something that's not, it's not your fault you struggle with it. Right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, having strong verbal skills, like um, it might be easy to recall certain uh, phrases you heard somewhere like, memory for language might be very good or things like that that's actually quite typical for TS it's that's as difficult as discussing certain weaknesses we might on average have but um yeah that's also the reason why we as a group have above average um educational achievements uh, it's probably this uh, verbal strengths and they do play a role in a lot of school lessons definitely yeah. and then on the other side the maths thing or um i know i sometimes struggled with geometry very specifically geometry like you have to imagine uh, is this line parallel to this one in space and <laughs> i don't know um yeah. but but it got easier once we had really mathematical ways to put it like well, you don't have to see it, you have to put it into this formula, right? Um, I'm, I might not be the very quickest to get that result, but that's better, a lot better than, than um, when we started with, with these kinds of things. And a lot of areas of maths were not a problem for me personally. I don't know if this is just me or if um, <laughs> a lot of us, um also don't struggle this much in other areas of maths i can't know um yeah but there, there are ways to use verbal skills when learning maths i think um it's just my experience right. um and a, a lot of lot of students struggle with maths that's also something i would sometimes like to point out like Oh, she's struggling with maths. Well, maybe she's just better in other subjects than maths. Um, and oh, yeah, sure. And um, doesn't matter for which reason you're struggling. You do deserve help, obviously. Um, but you know, just kind of putting it into perspective. What's normal? Not not going through school with straight A's and not struggling anywhere. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that's a good point. I. I've been thinking about that a lot lately, like 
it's so easy to focus on, oh, well, I have this struggle because of Turner syndrome or whatever the struggle, whatever the reason for the struggle is. I have this struggle, I have this challenge instead of, well, but what's my strengths though? Like that may be something that isn't a strength for me, but what are my strengths? I can focus on what my strengths are. I don't have to just feel restricted by what I can't do. I can focus on what I can. So for me, that meant I'm going to do the best I can in math and kind of say as good as I can do is as good as I can do. And then when it comes to reading, I can fly through books. History was always fun for me. Like writing papers, I always, I loved writing. Like all of that, I excelled at and I had fun with. So I could focus on that while just doing this I could in math. Right. Exactly. That's what I would say too. And I really lived off that of my strengths. I I had figured that out myself because I wasn't diagnosed until 12. Um and a lot of uh, really uh, um a lot of things are, have already happened once you turn 12 or once you turn 15 and read about cognitive phenotype of PS for the first time. So I grew up um feeling where I was socially awkward, I was slow in certain ways, not really coordinated in certain ways. Um, but but um, right, I, um, I didn't want to be average. I, a normal was really not a, a positive for me, <laughs> never. Um, I saw where I was better than others right? um, in, in many school lessons, for example. But also, like you said, reading, writing. Um, for others, it might also be music, not for me specifically, but things like that. You know, um, and I don't really understand those parents who are, um, I have read a book of, of an older German woman with TS who really writes what her parents heard, um, were told by the doctors um, probably not in a um, um, not in a very good way that she has a genetic disorder and they kind of treated their daughter as a disorder as a problem like oh she can't do this she can't do that and she really incorporated this into her identity and yeah I'm I'm just glad that this wasn't an issue for me it doesn't seem to be an issue for a lot of women who were diagnosed earlier but for some. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good note for any parents listening. I grew up in a very similar way to you. I, my parents never treated me like having Turner syndrome actually changed what I could do. They acknowledged I would need more support in certain ways, but they never, ever treated me as if I was any less able than my brothers. I was able to do, even if it meant I had to push myself to do it, I was able to do it. Or if it meant, you know, I just had different strengths I needed to focus on that there was never a tone of, I can't do something because of it. And I think they were really intentional about that. They didn't want me to feel like I couldn't. And that's the way to do it. Um, If if I had wanted my parents to do one thing differently, that's maybe um, 
get me to do some of the things that are more difficult for, for me at an older age in, in the sense of they didn't really care if uh, my motor skills were good or not like something that um and driving driving is a huge issue for me right now um it it also was for some others in my family who knows again whether it's yes or not but um nobody ever told me well go ride your bike and yeah uh, get some feeling for uh, where are the cars coming from <laughs> where not yeah and um also gymnastics might have been helpful in some ways i know but that's a, a difficult question for anyone right where do i focus on my strengths develop them uh, it's it's also the worst thing you could possibly do is not develop those strengths and be bored in certain school lessons like yeah. well i could do this this two years ago and <laughs> thanks for the a but <laughs> oh, um, yeah. <laughs> um yeah but on the other hand um which areas of weakness do, do i really need to develop and yeah it's it's more difficult again if you don't have typical strengths and weaknesses but on some level i think everyone knows that struggle yeah yeah, everybody has strengths and weaknesses. It's just all about finding what yours are. And I think I think there's something really empowering for finding what they are because it can feel really discouraging when you, uh, like, I go back to math all the time because math was my, like it felt so discouraging to me how much I struggled in math. And so that was probably the thing I fought the hardest. And um, I, it, it was something that it's tempting to be like, I, I'm not good at it. I hate the experience of trying to do it so much because it's just so discouraging. I just want to ignore it. Well, okay looking at the reality of that, there is some level of math I need to conquer to function as an adult. <laughs> and even just in school normally. So it's, it's finding, okay, well, this isn't my strength at all, but what, what level can I push myself to and focus on that'll actually help me and be applicable to what I am trying to do? I don't need to know geometry for every day. But I do need some level of the equations that come up to know how to crunch numbers for whatever might come up in life, whether it's taxes, salary, like the, the life stuff that that applies to. And so I think that can help too. You're focusing on that instead of well, there's all of this I don't know that I need to conquer. Focus on what you're actually going to need. Right. Exactly that. Um, for me, it was physical education. Like, uh, not just that I was shorter. Um, everything where you just needed to push through stamina, uh, great. Like distance running, I was a lot better than you would expect for someone with my leg length. But when it comes to high jump or whatever you call it or 
um gymnastics and then this was the most uh the most disheartening thing for me because i couldn't put that on my schedule and then it was tempting to say well that's ts and then you hear of missy malo i don't know if you know her um yeah it's really difficult i don't know um what's the better thing to say like well someone else with ts can do that so don't put it on ts on the on one hand or on the other hand where everyone is affected differently be a little kind to yourself i know somewhere in the middle oh yeah and that's where the we all have different genetics playing into things at the same time comes in i have things i have a number of things that are possible with turners but also in my family history so it's like would i really have been any different in that area though i'll never know yeah that that can get easy to catch yourself up on because it's like well is that turners or is that not it could be it might not you'll just you'll never know like mm -hmm. would i have been taller maybe would i have been that much taller i don't know i don't know if i would have been that much taller it's mm -hmm. it's a game you can play with yourself that it, some level it's interesting to think about and on others it's like well if it if you're gonna not handle it any differently it doesn't matter where it came from it's what right. you're dealing with right and <laughs> that's exactly what uh, i try to tell parents like especially in those american groups that you get parents asking well uh, should i allow my child to drive uh, should i push for um, whatever extra help maths before she has even really started learning maths. No, not really. Or, I don't know. Uh, like, treat it as if you wouldn't know about GS or as a diagnosis, just it doesn't matter if she has struggles where those are coming from. Um, if you're thinking about it for yourself, it's it's a little harder. Like, you, you have to figure out uh, what's not necessarily what's true, like there is no true or wrong, but uh, which is the most helpful interpretation for you yourself. Yeah. Because you you will keep asking those questions, right? Yeah, and I think to some level, that's a part of the processing, getting that diagnosis is kind of figuring out those feelings and emotions and reactions, and that's totally normal and it's good to process through those. Um, but I think it's also always good to remind yourself that there's a, there's a reality going on though, that, that, that stuff doesn't have to be a limitation that, that, um, it's not something you have to let catch yourself up on. Mm -hmm. Um, so in talking to those that maybe just got diagnosed, um, got a diagnosis for their child or, um, they're pregnant and just got a diagnosis, what would be your encouragement or advice you would want to give to them? Well, um, for example, that TS doesn't have to define who you are. Like um, a lot of women tend to say, well, my child won't be perfect, quote unquote. Uh, she will have this disorder, she will be this disorder. Um, 
we have um, if you really talk to someone with TS, um, I think what you will quickly notice is it's not nearly as bad as you are imagining right now. And well, we are persons. Like it's it's very easy to talk about a statistic or a health problem no, no. <laughs> on a very rational level. But yeah, we, we are we have our own personalities, um, opinions, whatever. We are not TS. Yeah, I think I think that's a good reminder for everybody in this scenario that the diagnosis of Turner's does not have to does not have to and does not define you. Then again, it's understandable that everything is really a lot right at the beginning, and you know that you get overwhelmed, especially if it hasn't been explained to you very well, and that you get scared. Um, and also there, there is no right or wrong decision. Like nobody is going to be judging you uh, or should be. Um, I don't know what I would do in the same position and with the same information, right? Yeah, it's, it's a very difficult position to be in making decisions about things that you can't predict the outcome really. And you're trying to make the best decision for your child as you can. And there's also the dynamic of most people when they get this diagnosis have never heard of it before. Mm -hmm. So it's not just you're getting more information than you had had previously. You're getting information you had never had before at all. No foundation to go from. And it's not small things you're dealing with. So it's, yeah, it's, it can be so overwhelming. And that's why my biggest advice has always been, well, do the screenings, do the tests that you can to find out what her case is, because that'll tell you what you need to be focused on. And then that long list on Google can not even be looked at. You can have a list of what her things you're dealing with are. Mm -hmm. And as they come up through life, you can deal with it as they come up. You know, it, it doesn't have to be, well, this might happen 10 years from now. So we got to be prepared. Right. The only scenario that I've ever thought that level of forethought forethought I think forethought is the right word I'm thinking of my brain just went haywire a second um is in the infertility because I know recently there's been things that have come up that you could be able to do not to guarantee preserving fertility to some level but attempt to at least mm -hmm. um it's just so hard because there are so many cases. I mean, it's a little bit less now. There's a little bit earlier of a diagnosis age than there used to be. Mm. Um, but typically it's been, you get a diagnosis so late that what you would have needed to try to preserve anything has already passed. Right. Um yeah, that's also something that's worth pointing out. Before NIPTs and all of that, average age at diagnosis was, was something like 12, later 9. 
I mean, someone like Chana wouldn't have picked up most cases of TS. Yeah. Um, they, they are just not that obvious, right? And so I sometimes wonder why, or I understand why, but um, I don't think it's good that people treat TS like a medical emergency when it's diagnosed in a really young child where we have to do this and that and whatever right now, this second. Yeah. Um, there are some checkups you do when you get diagnosed because it's the reasonable thing to do. But like those mothers are really, really scared out of their mind right at the beginning, thinking oh, her whole life is going to be like that. Every two weeks, another specialist yeah. uh, doesn't have to be. Um, yeah. And then about uh, preserving fertility. Um, that's, I have been in, in a crazy position in, in that way my parents are physicians so they have probably read what there is to read but um i was told by my physician at 17 last year well you might want to look into that if there's still some ovarian tissue right that can be preserved and at this point i already knew no chance basically statistically speaking at least with everything that had been going on. So that's something you have to do at eight, around eight maybe, um, yeah. at least in someone with classic TS and who has never gone through puberty, but um, even some with classic TS do. And um, yeah, so maybe there had been a chance for me, but it's, it's really something very new. Um, yeah. It, if someone out there is 40 or whatever and was diagnosed at 12, they ha wouldn't have tried it that, that back then if it had been diagnosed earlier. And yeah. they, they also have, haven't tried it very often. Um, we know what we would expect, that um, there's a high number of genetic problems when you take your own eggs, especially if the scenario, right, if there hasn't been spontaneous puberty and whatever, um, even if someone with TS has spontaneous um, pregnancy, then there is a high incidence of not just TS, um, Down syndrome and things like that. And then there's a usual risk of carrying a pregnancy for us. I think that's, well, that's probably seen as big as it really is. But so in a lot of cases, it depends on the specific case. Yeah. Um, all of that, a lot of lot to think about, it. Um, especially at an age where, where a girl can decide a lot of things, but you don't, as parents, you don't really know if she understands the full implications of what she is deciding right now. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the struggle is... Even if you do, like the diagnosis age is so far early. Like I was diagnosed while my mom was still pregnant with me. So that would be a situation you could try to think about those things in. But when you're looking at making those types of decisions at eight, seven or eight, nine years old, I barely understood the whole circumstance at that age let alone could have made a decision about what I would want to do to have a family 20 years, 15, 20 years down the road. So mm -hmm. it's, it's hard. And, and 
the struggle with the later diagnosis is you've already gone into full, well, to my understanding of it, at least you've already gone into full menopause, basically. Menopause, at that point. Yes. So it's, it's kind of too late. Um, but it's, yeah, there's, there's so much. And, and there is even, even figuring that out, there is a lot to think about for, are you okay to carry? Like, could you physically carry, um, heart wise, are you healthy enough to carry, um, and those things too. Um, I know, and the, the using your own eggs thing, I had a geneticist that I was connected to through my doctor tell me that he couldn't say it was impossible because weirder things have happened. But he basically said the most likely scenario if a, a woman, especially with classic, was able to spontaneously conceive was with what the genetic makeup might look like, you most likely wouldn't have even known you were pregnant. It would have just, which is an interesting thought, but it's, it's a scenario where you have to think what risk is using my own eggs, what risk is there to that? And, um, also the emotional side of trying with your own, because there's a lot more complication to that, that you're already adding to in a really emotional situation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, well, the spontaneous abortions, at least part of that is, as we know that uh, this is what happens with most fetuses with TS or Down syndrome or some type of genetic condition like that. Um, yeah. In my case, I would know 100% that I wouldn't just spontaneously get pregnant with my own ex, whatever, and know it or not know it, because um, the, uh, when you take those hormone levels, um, AMH is what gives you your egg reserve. And then I had my FSH, LH through the roof before I started estrogen. And yeah. Um, just because you take estrogen and it goes down, that that's what happens. But that doesn't really change anything. Um, like it doesn't change that your ovaries aren't functioning, right? And I personally don't think it would, with what I know, that it would be worth it to do a lot more testing. Like, uh, lapar- lapar- oh god, I can't even pronounce that in German. Laparoscopically um, go in there and <laughs> uh, look at look at the ovaries and see if there's any tissue you could use. Uh, I don't know, but probably doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's so. There's lots of details you can get. There's lots of you know you can find out what your FSH, AMH levels are, and that'll tell you what's happening right then. Um, you can see what your ovaries look like, but I think sometimes a lot of information, like I'm always an advocate for find out what your body is doing, like understand it, your personal situation and all of that. But there's also some level of mentally taking care of yourself of like, well, do I, am I just overwhelming myself by doing all of these tests? Or am I actually helping myself process? And yeah, I think 
and that goes for looking into the genetics of it and all of that as well. Like you have to know yourself and know like, is this going to be overwhelming or is this going to be helpful right now? And especially if you're then actually trying to get pregnant with IVF and egg donation or whatever, yeah. that's something I'm probably underestimating because I have never been there. I've never really um, thought about where should I try IVF where in five years, maybe. Also, I'm sitting at 18 and I'm not sure how I will think about it, that whole matter in five years, 10 years. Um, yeah. what, what do you expect of an eight-year-old child? But um, yeah, the whole emotional aspect, like, oh, you, you can say, well, do testing, um, genetic testing before you implant a fetus in, in zygote. Um, that's also not that easily done, right? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Very scientific people might say, well, you have those 12 zygotes, so now let's choose the one where you have the most chance of giving birth to a live child. But yeah, well, you would, um, what would that be if, if everyone would do that, first of all? What, um, Nobody would ever choose cycle with TS. And yeah, secondly, well, it's also a very emotional thing, everything. Um, yeah, a whole lot of, uh, of emotions you have to consider. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and I talk a lot about the perspective of the woman with Turner's navigating all of that. But there's also the parents trying to support you through that mm. and um you know like I know when me and my husband first started kind of processing everything I went and I never had any levels done I had never had any fertility testing done at all so we went and got those answers well then we had to figure out what we were going to do with those answers <laughs> and like what that meant we were going to do moving forward and I remember I was talking with my mom. I was, you know, she had gone to the appointment with me. And um, so she knew everything we had gotten. And we were talking about all of the different options. I was just kind of sharing what we had found for options. And um, I remember saying, had you even thought about this type of thing being an option for me when you had me? And she goes, oh, I could have not ever even dreamed you'd have as many options as you have now. Not in my wildest dreams could I have hoped for that. And that I think is something that parents can be encouraged by too. Especially now, there's so many options for everything, for not just the fertility, but for treatments for everything that comes with TS. There's so many more options than there was 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. It's amazing. Right, and I hadn't really thought about it that way because, um, well, I kind of have taken something like IVF for granted. Oh, well, it exists and this and that, these are the implications. But um, well, we briefly touched upon that um, in our biology lectures, what, um, what have to, had to be invented in order for this to be a possibility. Like, being able to give hormone treatments, being, being able to do that in mutual fertilization. Um, yeah. 
right um yeah i have friends that were in the trials of hrt and growth hormones and it's like that was something that doesn't feel like it feels like such a average normal part of ts now Mm -hmm. it's weird to think that it hasn't actually been around that long in comparison to other things it's a fairly still recent thing and and so the strides have been huge in not that long of a time period to do incredible things (laughs) i don't think embryo adoption even has been something for more than 10 years okay um i'm not sure about the timeline there i i don't think embryo adoption do you know what embryo adoption is yeah i do okay i didn't hear about it until like five years ago and it was very new then Mm -hmm. so it's and it's something that's much more common now even so it's 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 encouraging and almost empowering to see those types of strides. And I really hope that continues. And we just keep seeing research that like just explodes what we know and what we can do to support these things. Also with the growth hormone, I've, I've heard a bit more about that. And that's, that's also crazy. Like 1980 was when synthetic growth hormone was starting to become a thing. And you might start to consider what maybe giving it to someone with PS. And before that, you know, um, it had to be taken from human cadavers. And um, parents had to somehow get pituitary glands. Like, right. Um, oh, my just, <laughs> um, there's a book about it. Um, how it's called Arouse the History of Hormones and how they control just about everything. Um, uh, it's really well understandable and really fascinating. Um, yeah, so parents were just told, well, we, we could treat your child, but you have to get pituitary glands. And then they had to have some connections to. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And of course, it wasn't as regulated as it is today. And, but if you mess up um, um, for some reason, um, there is some Kreuzfeld Jakobs disease um, in the growth hormone that really bad. Um, yeah. Also, uh, even today, uh, if you give growth hormone to a child, for example, with Prada Willi syndrome, or to someone who has a true growth hormone deficiency, it's absolutely amazing what it does. <laughs> like, I was just thinking, well, you get five centimeters taller, that's it. For us, so more or less, but for others, it's really life-saving, and that's also crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's and it's funny because until you put them into perspective, the whole hormone system in a condition where you have significant, major hormone deficiency, you don't realize, or really, maybe not not realize, but not think about like it doesn't feel as real how much of our body runs on hormones so having a hormone deficiency isn't just your reproductive system it's right your whole system is run by 
those hormones and other hormones that are affected by the production of those hormones. And it's, mm. it, it, that's why to me, honing in the hormone replacement therapy is probably the biggest area I would love to see work in because I feel like it's the foundation of really supporting and treating so much of what comes with Turner's. Mm. So uh, what what I would like to see more research in, because well, I'm I'm just a person that's uh, really interested in the genetic stuff, is what gene on the X chromosome does really do what, and it's it's never as straightforward as this gene causes X Y, because for example, um, autism is very strongly linked with certain variations of certain genes on the X chromosome, like for example. It's also more common in TS, and some of the features that are common in TS go into that direction, whether you want to diagnose it or not. Um, that's, there won't be an autism gene. But that, that's not, not, not only interesting for us, right? Um, if you think about just 46XX women and 46XY males, there are huge differences between them. Uh, there are diseases. Um, Women get autoimmune conditions, males get cardiovascular disease. Um, yeah, so there, there are huge differences with a huge number of conditions. And to understand that more um, is really difficult. I don't know how much uh, someone who is really an expert in this field would understand all of that right now. But yeah, that's, that's the thing that interests me most. Yeah. That would be that would be great, I think, just in being able to have that much more detail on somebody's case from a karyotype. You know, that would help you get so much more information from a karyotype than classic or mosaic. <laughs> Which, yes, classic or mosaic is helpful, but oh man, that that type of detail would be great. Um, I think. I think there's so much more to that, that you could get, you know, an individual look at someone. And I feel like some of the, while there's an understanding that each case of Turner's is unique and, and you have to look at it as its own case and not, I think most understanding is of this, that, you know, you can't broad sweepingly deal with a case of Turner's just because this other case you did this way, that it's not going to be one size fits all. But I think a lot of the treatments and systems put in place kind of do treat it more like it's one size fits all. Yeah, uh, that's probably a very specific problem with TS because yeah. um, in, you, you know, if you have a broken leg, you have a broken leg. And you have a, an infection where it probably will respond to this or that. Um, and even with other genetic conditions, if you look up Williams syndrome, if you look at different cases of Down syndrome, there is a variation, right? But it's not nearly as big as you get with Turner's. And probably um, that's because uh, with TS, this, that's also the most common condition in, in which you get this mosaicism. Yeah. Um, reading about TS all day long, I, I thought 
why mosaic down syndrome must be a thing and it must be very common it is a thing but it is not really common uh, it's very rare so yeah um i mean sometimes you have to explain to people that there is not the mosaic form of ps there are ring chromosomes isochromosomes um yeah and even if your you know your classic um, 46x and our tested cells you know that there's much higher likelihood than with other conditions that some other cells in your body won't look that way where um whereas in with someone else cystic uh, fibrosis while you have that mutation and probably in all sides of your body and if you have down syndrome you probably have that in all sides of your body and you you are really expected to have certain features of it yeah yeah i think in other genetic conditions mostly the variation is in the most common varying variations you see are just severity of symptoms not a variation in the symptoms themselves and that i think is the key difference that i always say turner syndrome is a spectrum that's, you know, I think of it much more like autism is on a spectrum. I think of Turner syndrome on a spectrum because people can be in very different places with it. Very, very different. But it's not just a spectrum of severity. It's a spectrum of the symptoms. It's you can have one symptom. I don't have that symptom. And I have a different symptom that you don't have, but we have the same genetic condition. We have the same genetic mutation that happened. It's, it's very, I don't know. It's, it's one that it, it takes more looking at to really understand it well and be able to make treatment plans and things like that. Like you, I really feel like those in more of a context of that would be so much helpful, especially with the hormone replacement therapy, because that I feel like is just all over the place. Everybody is gonna be vastly different and react differently to the different forms and methods and everything. Mm -hmm. Well, it is a thing in certain genetic disorders that you can't say, well, everyone gets the symptom, but so and so many percent get, get this. A certain percentage of people with Down syndrome get leukemia. Um, if you have a P53 mutation, like um, this, this predisposes you to cancer. Not everybody gets cancer, but most do at a young age and certain types of cancers. Uh, but again, it's um, with TS, it's really very, um, yeah, far more varied, and there are far more symptoms you might or might not have. Um, and this starts with outward fe outward features. Like um, if I have not seen that many pictures of people with Newland syndrome, for example, but my impression is um, that they have far more distinctive facial features. Like some people with TS might have facial features similar to someone with Newland syndrome, but many, many don't. Yeah, it's none of my understanding of other genetic conditions has ever come close to what I see in Turner's. It just looks like it's, it's such a unique condition. And 
I feel like the other aspect of it is the, the pool of those that have it that you're able to gain understanding through. Turner syndrome has a much smaller pool than Down syndrome does for trying to understand it and learn more. Right. Um, I wish I would know how many exactly um, people with Down syndrome there are for the thousand births, but it's more than with PS. Um, and again, we are probably missing many, many women with PS who are mosaic. Well, do you want to diagnose them? Yes or no? Probably you will still want to diagnose them, but you can't even start to guess what percentage of them really has cardiac problems that would need to be treated or something like that because they never came to medical attention and they are probably fine. Yeah, um, there's some level of mosaic cases we will never know because they'll just never have anything be that much of a problem to have actually ever done a karyotype. Right. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Um, and especially if you look at Facebook groups or something of people getting really deeply into the whole topic, then that's a, a whole different problem. I think you have many, many who know they have TS. They might or might not uh, do the, the recommended testing, um, but, yeah. but they don't feel the need to uh, connect with others and uh, join societies, uh, raise awareness, whatever. Um, yeah, that's understandable on some level for me. But it gives people a false impression of how common this or that is, right? Yeah. Especially when do you post well, if you have a problem? Um, yeah. I have recently talked to a psychologist with TS, interesting combination. Um, she is 40 something years old, has recently run her first marathon. And for, for such an intelligent person, though, she know, knew basically nothing about TS. She, yeah, well, I have it. My heart was checked when I was eight years old. Um, right. If, if that goes wrong, that's really mm, a really sad story. But in all likelihood, it doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know at this point in my understanding of Turner's, I don't know if I'd ever completely stop screenings no <laughs> there's just we don't know that there's no way to know well if it hasn't presented itself by this age you're not going to see it present after that I just don't ever see that being a thing um and I think there's there's so much also that in society, at least in the States, we tend to medically brush off like it's not a big deal when it could be signs of something bigger. And those types of things can get scary too, especially when, like, I know I can be a bit of a anxious person and maybe realize something, go, could that be this? Could that be that? What is that? 
But at the same time, if something's happening, you don't want to completely ignore it and just brush it off, especially with the things that are possible. <laughs> right. Um, back before I knew about GS, I asked my parents on a number of occasions, well, if you go studying medicine, don't you start thinking I have this, I have that um, all day, like <laughs> with every small thing. and that's that's the thing with medical students it really is but not with experienced doctors so if you really start understanding something um you can start to make some judgment some sound judgment about is this probably a big deal or not uh, yeah and yeah always emphasizing the probably so if if it's you you know well um do I want to take the chance or not? We're taking chances all day with everything we do. Um, if it's your child, you will probably on the side of caution. But you know, you don't ever say, "Well, you have to do this screening, that screening." You you say, "Well, if you don't, then this is going to happen with this or that likelihood." And so now go decide. Well, um, as far as someone who has limited information is able to decide and even doctors have limited information about how common is this really um, with this case not with ts in general it's not as difficult so um the thing in germany is um with <clears throat> with our universal healthcare coverage um in childhood they run tons of blood work like like it's no big deal um and do all the testing on, on some level, that's good. And on some level, right, um, it comes with growth hormone treatment. You have to check those growth hormone levels in your blood. And that is really important. On some level, it, feels, it makes you feel like they are going to find something one day. <laughs> and you're the 12-year-old child who, who knows too much about some things and not enough about others, right? And that's scary. Um, really understanding is probably a bit less scary than half understanding. Um, yeah. yeah. So what what you really, really need to check is the aorta, definitely. Um, aside from that, a lot of things would cause symptoms. Hashimoto's would, diabetes, diabetes would, before it really causes major problems, probably again. Um, yeah, difficult. So I, I think the most likely thing is with TS that we uh, get those metabolic issues other people also get, like high cholesterol, high blood sugar. Um, and maybe that's really the thing that's most dangerous in the long term. Um, maybe we get it earlier than others. Maybe we, whoever is at fault for getting this, I, I don't know, but maybe we can do a little less to prevent it, whatever. So this is something you would definitely want to check. Um, but there are other things um, where it's not that necessary. Or if you ask 10 doctors, you get 10 opinions on how often you should check. Um, you get doctors who don't know about Turner's at all and then basically go, well, you tell me what you want to have checked. 
<laughs> oh, I've had a doctor go, remind me of what Turner syndrome is again? And I'm like, well, um, <laughs> like that, okay, I, I can do that. But it's a little, that's probably my biggest thing I would also change too is some level of a more general, deeper understanding, maybe not as much as somebody that specializes in it, but so that if you go to an emergency room or urgent care, those treating you that might see you would actually have things red flag for them instead of just brushing it off. If it's something bigger, you know, like they would actually have enough understanding to know, oh, you have Turner syndrome and this is happening. We probably should check this. Right. Well, if you have some people who claim you should see that someone has TS, that's not the case. But if you really know they have TS, well, you should have some understanding. I, I had a doctor who is almost a general practitioner. And the first thing she said to me is, um, well, TS is passed on in families, right? Um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> um, so it's difficult. Uh, I mean, biologists. it can be. It can be mm, if the mom. It can be right. It can be if the mom <laughs> had it. That is by far not the, not anywhere near the most common scenario. <laughs> yeah. Um, biologists, uh, by the way, tend to say, "Well, um, I have read somewhere my bi biology book." They are just a little shorter and in shorter, everything else is okay. Um, um, <laughs> but, and also my genetics professor who uh, seemed really competent. Um, I joined him for a lecture, so uh, told a, little, a bit about TS. And what he said is, well, if, if you have excluded the most um, dangerous things right after birth, um, yeah, there's no need to worry that much about this or that popping up. Uh, and I'm here at a point, you know, um, if everyone has learned the whole list of what can happen, then you end up um, having, for example, geneticists who tell pregnant women, well, your daughter might or might not um, have intellectual impairment, right? Um, or yeah, um, she will look like this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's. That's the other aspect of the understanding is, and I mean, to some extent, I can understand a specialist, there's, there's no Turner syndrome specialist. There's a specialist mm -hmm. in endocrinology. There's a specialist in genetics. There's a, like, there's a cardiology specialist. There's, they, they specialize in one part of the body, right. not a specific condition, typically, mm -hmm. at least the doctors that are going to be treating you typically. Um, you might have those specialists closely work with Turner syndrome. So they are a pretty good expert in Turner syndrome. But mm -hmm. um, I think I think that goes to what a lot of pregnant women are told too about the likelihood of the outcome of the pregnancy is well, this is this is the most likely, the most likely is her not surviving. So mm -hmm. it's not even worth it. And I think that's based off a very limited 
understanding of a condition they're making judgments on. And that's, that's difficult because when, when you've heard that there's, there's going to be a lot more work it takes to expand your understanding beyond that. than if, if you started out with, well, this is the scenario, but let's look at her case. I do understand the endocrinologists and gynecologists because when the patients get referred to them, um, my endo had seen quite a few girls with TS, um, but her understanding was, well, um, everything is okay. The interesting thing is the hormones, growth hormone therapy. That's interesting that she can publish papers about that. So that's the main focus. And then well, she knew he could check her hearing at some point, just that, that she knew. Um, but yeah, why should she know about a cognitive phenotype of TS? Why? Uh, or the gynecologist who um, knows about in vitro fertilization and hopefully knows about the risk of carrying a pregnancy, hormone replacement. But what really bothers me is if geneticists don't get the facts right, because for them, it's one of the most common things they will see, one in 400 pregnancies. So I, I would say the only more common thing is Down syndrome. Then well, there's something like cystic fibrosis, which um, the treatments, treatment options are getting a lot better. And so or have gotten a lot better over the last few years. Um, phenylketonuria, uh, Tysax, depending on where you are. But it's definitely among the five most, most common things they will see. And um, it's one of the five conditions that's, that's mentioned in high school textbooks. So why? Why don't they know about TS? Right. Yeah, yeah, I think. And, and so the, the geneticist I talked to, their understanding was accurate and he gave me good information but at the same time it was still very I I could tell he was being careful because he didn't want to get my hopes up so he he was still very concerned about those numbers showing any kind of chance because I mean it, those are low chances like I, I completely understand there's no positive information about fertility that comes very often with Turner's. So it's not going to be happy news. It's not going to be good news and a fun conversation. But I think there's also in the medical community with Turner's when it's things like outcomes for pregnancy or um, fertility, there's a tendency to err on the side of caution and not give positive, not give a positive tone to things because mm -hmm. of not wanting to get hopes up and have somebody get even more hurt because they were hopeful of a better outcome. And it's a difficult I balance. I understand that. Right. Um, it's just you hear far too often that they, the geneticists even give factually wrong information. For example, um, Turner 
wrote four times something in his article, there was no mental retardation. And for the next 40 years or something, everyone associated TS with mental retardation. And some of that is, is still out there. Some is still in the heads of some geneticists, right? Uh, that's not even the only thing, even if you're explaining it a bit better, you you can make it sound like, well, she is having, will have certain strengths and weaknesses like everybody else. If you want to, you you can maybe predict them a little better. Do you have to? Uh, that's up to, up to you to decide. Or you can make it sound like, well, you will have cognitive impairment here and there and it will be, a, yeah, will be a collection of deficits, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, that there'll be absolutely, there'll be no way they survive. There'll be no quality of life. There'll be, <laughs> I mean, it's, it, there's so much that there's, there's a tendency to be quick to say this, this just isn't going to work out. This just isn't worth it. And it's like, well, there's a lot of women that live healthy, normal lives. Like I've, I've had moms kind of not scared, I guess, necessarily, but just trying to like nervously trying to understand, ask what's the average life expectancy of a woman with Turner's. Well, barring any medical testing, there's no reason to expect it to be any different. Right. So statistically, um, I don't know if I should even say that or if I'm going to say that to someone with PS again. But statistically, it's 10 years less than that of others. But um, you have to keep in mind that, well, hypoplastic left heart syndrome, it's rare, but with TS together, that's um, kind of the worst prognosis you can get. I don't know. It's not common. I don't know how, how much it influences life expectancy. There, there are severe cases of aortic coarctation. I don't know. And a number of things. Um, you always hear about something new from time to time, which might come with TS. So there, there are some, you know, some really tragic cases. And then where aortic dissection isn't really the thing that influences life expectancy that much. It's, it's the worst thing that can happen, but it's rare. So, but I don't know. Um, it's difficult to put that into perspective, right? But um, some time ago in the Facebook group, I saw someone kind of also nervously asking, well, how old is the oldest person with TS who has ever lived? Well, past 100, obviously, even if you take 10 years of normal life expectancy, then that's 70 something years and someone will live to 100 years. And then, yeah, also, as you said, a huge spectrum will well, someone might have so few problems that there's no reason at all to assume that there would be a lower life expectancy. Yeah. So, yeah. Not in the sense like you get with other genetic conditions, Huntington just to propose until some time ago. So, <laughs> well, the question becomes should you even discuss it or not? Yeah, I think, well, and the more, because it can be overwhelming in yeah. the Facebook groups to see, oh, um, you know, there was another girl that didn't make it through heart surgery or something like that. And it's like, yes, those things are real risks that we need to be aware of and that we need to be on top of. 
However, that doesn't take our focus off of our own situation. And, and those are the things that kind of determine your, your personal health situation is most important, even in things like a general change to life expectancy. Well, so that's going to be individual because are we talking mm-hmm. somebody with the heart condition? Are we talking somebody with other complications? Like what's the health status of them? How are they impacted by Turner's is going to change whether their life expectancy is affected at all. Mm-hmm. And if you get into that a little more deeply, like um, ask a physician, well, what do you suppose? Um, what is the single thing that um, decreases life expectancy of us as a group most, um, you know, I asked that uh, to a cardiologist who has TS herself. She didn't really know the answer. Like, oh, well, I've seen this or that. Um, I've seen aortic dissections. I have seen strokes, heart attacks. And these are probably the most common things. But <laughs> you don't know yeah there's too much with turners that's not just not predictable but there's just no way of actually knowing to really give absolutes and give exact answers which <laughs> makes it all the more fun trying to navigate everything that comes with it um it's yeah. So, oh gosh, I could talk about so much to do with this for so long. Um, so I am so grateful that you came on and talked with me. Um, I, I just appreciate the conversation and the sharing of information so much. Um, so before we wrap up, is there anything you would want to share um, is there anything in particular you would want to make sure that somebody listening kind of took from our conversation? So to someone else with TS, um, maybe a little younger than me, I would say um, don't ever feel like you are less in any way than somebody else, even if you get teased, looked down upon. Um, this will probably get better uh, as everyone gets a little more mature. So focus on your strengths. Um, we had a whole topic with weaknesses and how much you should try to improve them and whatever. But first of all, focus on your strengths. Um, yeah. And I think we already talked a lot about mothers. Um, yes, it's not a medical emergency. Um, don't treat things a lot differently than you would if your daughter didn't have TS. Um, I, for example, I don't like the term child with special needs. Some of us are, um, but you know, many of us are people with very normal typical needs, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah and I've heard many people feel like, uh, married, uh, many parents who feel like they can only do everything wrong. And they don't know how to support their daughter. They have never been in any similar situation. Um, from my perspective, I would say, well, so the best thing you can do is, first of all, caring about whether or not you are supporting your daughter right. That's 
that's a good start. <laughs> Many parents don't do that. <laughs> um, so you can't be completely mistaken. Um, yeah, don't ex ex uh, expect any less from your daughter. So self-fulfilling prophecies are really a thing. Um, yeah, so being different from normal isn't always worse than normal, quote unquote, even though you can be like that with something like TS where most of us would say, well, I would rather not have that. So if, if you really say, well, I wouldn't change that, um, many would agree. But then you would you are quickly uh, taught by any TS group to you're being too positive. You haven't gone through this or that. So um, as a package deal, you know, um, it depends on your situation, whether or not it's something you can live with or something where you say, well, not really, or if you really even draw something positive from it, like compassion um yeah so but um it's not something to be pitied or anything like that right um so these are quite a few points yeah yeah i love that i love the reminder if you're asking this question you're already off to a good start like just asking that question tells me you're in the right position you're in the right mind frame so yeah um Thank you. Thank you so much for talking with me. It has been so great. Um, and I am just so appreciative. And um, yeah, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. It was really great to talk to you. And yeah, I absolutely. also wish you a, yeah, I also wish you a great rest of your day. Thank you. I will hopefully talk to you soon. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Coffee and Turner Syndrome. If you would like to support the podcast, I do have listener support set up on Anchor. And if you'd like to leave me a voice message, I would love to hear from you. Don't forget, you can find the video version of this podcast on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brooktv. Make sure you're subscribed so you see when the next one comes out. And I will see you guys in the next episode.